Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. If you watch national TV news or eavesdrop at your local coffee shop, you may have heard something like this. San Francisco's offices are lying vacant. Homelessness is rampant. And the city is floundering. Bay Curious listener Judith Gottlieb, a retired nurse in Oakland, has been hearing some of those stories. The idea of people sleeping on the street breaks her heart. One day I was so upset about the unhoused and I just saw, I heard about all these empty office buildings in San Francisco. And I was thinking, couldn't we just move them in there really quickly? Other people have had similar ideas. Office vacancy is hovering around 30% in downtown San Francisco, and that's been a major blow to local businesses and the hospitality industry. Recently, there's been a lot of talk about converting all these empty offices to living space as a way to create some much-needed housing and revive downtown at the same time. The unhoused need dignity. They need a roof over their head. They need to be able to shower. They need to have regular meals and... Anything we can do is better than just waiting around. This week on Bay Curious, we'll seriously consider this question. First, we'll look into the economics and logistics of converting office space into housing of any kind. Then we'll explore if this could be a good solution for sheltering people experiencing homelessness. I'm Olivia Allen Price. We'll get to it right after this break. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. So just how hard is it to convert an office building to housing in San Francisco? We'll start by looking into the nuts and bolts of that question. Then we'll explore if it could help house people experiencing homelessness later on in the episode. Producer Pauline Bartoloni takes it from here. This idea of turning office space into apartments, it has been done before. Yes, in San Francisco, but not many times and not for housing people experiencing homelessness. I went to check out one of these conversions at 100 Van Ness, kind of in the political heart of the city. There, I found a 28-story glass-covered tower just steps from Market Street with a view of City Hall. 
So I've got a 10th floor, 27th floor. Let's get to the 10th floor first. Strachan Forgan helped lead the transformation of this building. He's a principal at SCB, an architectural firm. He starts our tour with a long ride in one of the four original elevators that weren't demolished. The office buildings generally have a lot more need for elevators than the residential buildings. So there were, I think there were eight elevators originally. This tower first belonged to the California State Automobile Association and was built in the 1970s. Back then, it was a beige tower of concrete with small rectangular windows. Now, its exterior is all glass, kind of like the Salesforce Tower. You'd hardly recognize it. Inside, the once sprawling open floors of office space have been carved up into hundreds of luxury apartments. Forgan takes me into a one-bedroom. So again, we try and make it so as soon as you come in, you see daylight, so you're kind of drawn towards the front. This apartment has a long tunnel-like hallway with windows at the end. That's because it's deep. Remember, this was carved out of a vast open office floor from the windows going towards the center elevators. So there are fewer opportunities for sunlight. That's one of the challenges of converting office buildings. The bedroom here doesn't have windows. It borrows light from living space. This is where the bedroom is in this unit. So it's more in the middle of the unit. Um, You still get light through these glass side lights. But you can also bring a curtain around there to make it, you know, dark in the evening. This design quirk in some of the bedrooms is unique to the conversion. But Forgan says the rental market tolerated it. People pay $3,600 a month for a one-bedroom like this. And it's actually, the residents really like it because it's very quiet. You know, you're away from the hustle and bustle. It can be a little bit darker, so if you're sleeping there, it's fine. Converting office buildings comes with constraints, but some of them are perks. The ceilings here are higher than in a normal apartment. The developers got rid of all the heating and cooling machinery on the roof and created open leisure space with chairs and 360 views of the Bay Area. It has pretty spectacular views in every direction. Oh yeah, you can see the Marin Headlands. Yeah, pretty beautiful day for it as well. Forgan's firm wants to stay in this business of converting offices to housing. They see the value to downtown San Francisco and the environment. Reusing an existing building has a smaller carbon footprint than knocking it down and starting from scratch. So, Pauline, it seems like these conversions are pretty doable and can create desirable places to live. So why is this project one of only a handful of office-to-residential conversions in San Francisco? Well, it's like what many decisions come down to in life. It's about money. And this is where it all gets complicated. On a very basic level, there's the cost of all new plumbing and electrical. I mean, you need pipes for new kitchens and bathrooms. Then a lot of these buildings also need a seismic upgrade. So Forgan says the kind of housing that would recoup costs of a conversion would be at the higher end of the market. you got to buy the building and do everything to convert it. And by the time you add up those costs, the only thing that pencils is, is kind of more of a luxury product, especially with a building like this that has great views and a good location. Housing developers like the Emerald Fund, which backed 100 Van Ness, say they're interested in doing more of these conversions. 
the raw construction costs of converting offices could actually be done more cheaply than building a brand new apartment tower. In fact, Mark Babson of the fund says they've looked at four office buildings recently, but so far, no new project has made sense cost-wise. So we haven't hit it yet, but we continue to look. We think this is a great idea from a public policy perspective. We do need to save our downtowns, and this is a great way to do that, to bring people onto the street. And it's a great way to produce housing that is currently not being produced. We're just not producing it because the numbers don't work. Public policy experts are in line with developers on this one. There are hefty costs that make such a project a non-starter. Things that support the public good, like city fees that go toward childcare and transportation. But those can add up to millions of dollars to a project's costs. Then there are transfer and property taxes, no small sum. Plus, San Francisco's affordable housing rules require a certain number of units be affordable to lower-income tenants, so that cuts into the amount of revenue a housing project can make. Oh, and the construction costs are sky-high right now. For all of these reasons, Sujata Srivastava with SPUR, or the San Francisco Bay Area Planning and Urban Research Association, says city lawmakers need to make major changes if they want to jumpstart these conversions. Right now, it doesn't really make any financial sense to do conversions under the current costs that we have in in San Francisco, and rents are also down from before the pandemic. So just the equation, the math just doesn't really work. So we've made some recommendations around things that the city could be doing to help to make these projects more feasible. San Francisco politicians have made some changes already and they're working on more. The mayor's office and supervisors have relaxed rules about open space, sunlight, and apartment sizes for some conversions. And elected city officials have proposed reducing affordable housing requirements and impact fees, but not as low as developers want. Is this part of the city's effort to jumpstart more activity downtown? Yeah, yeah, it is, actually. There are very active policy discussions going on right now about how to grow a more vibrant downtown. So while I was reporting about all this, I decided to take a walk from Union Square to the Financial District to see what everybody was talking about. And the closer I got to the Embarcadero, the more vacant it started to look. Windy sidewalks, empty restaurants, and sparse foot traffic. That's where I met Graham Luth sitting on 2nd Street near Montgomery, trying to get money to go to Colorado. Uh, I got evicted, sort of, kind of. And then, yes, I'm unhoused at the moment. I got a job offer, but I'm short bus money. When I asked Luth about people without shelter living in the empty office space downtown, he looked up at the tall buildings around him and said, if no one's using them, why not? I think it's a fantastic idea because there's a lot of space that is just we be sitting there for five years, six years, eight years. And so I guess just being able to figure out who owns the spaces, that if they're not gaining or losing, that the space could be used for a matter that would help support the whole community in general. Okay, Pauline, so it sounds like while technically office-to-housing conversions can be done, it's costs that make those units nearly impossible to be used for people experiencing homelessness, at least right now. 
Yeah, a whole lot of carrots and cash would have to be thrown at developers to make it financially attractive. But who knows, some changes could come out of the policy discussions right now that could make developers jump in the game. So what are the other options for people needing shelter in San Francisco then? Well, I'm glad you asked because I was pretty surprised to hear that there are actually fewer people living on the streets today than there were in 2020. The unsheltered homeless population has actually gone down 15 percent, according to the Public Policy Institute of California. That's as homelessness in general has gone up around the state. Hmm. I think some people are going to be really surprised to hear that. Um, How has the city improved those numbers? Yeah, they used a pretty interesting approach, actually. San Francisco has been buying hotels and apartment buildings and using them to shelter the unhoused. The city and partner organizations have bought eight already, and there are plans to buy two more. And that has been really incredible. Folks are getting housed. I met Jennifer Friedenbach the executive director of the Coalition on Homelessness near Union Square recently. And she explained to me how San Francisco used state COVID-19 money to purchase the buildings, and they continue to operate them using funds from a local tax on large corporations, what San Francisco voters know as Prop C. We're going on our fourth youth, uh, you know, housing for youth. We've got um, a couple family buildings that have been purchased, um, uh, several um, ones for single adults um, that have been fantastic. Um, I think four or five of those. The city now has added almost a thousand more housing units to help people get off the streets. Freedom Box says creating supportive housing from hotels has been a natural transition. And a lot of the, the tourist hotels have larger rooms. You can turn them into studio apartments and have um, small kitchens. There's all these design things you can do um, that are really cool. Um, And you've already got the pipes, the electricity, the water. In other words, hotels have all the living space infrastructure that office buildings don't have. Converting them is way easier and cheaper. When I asked Friedenbach what she thought about this idea of using vacant offices to shelter the unhoused, she said she liked the idea, but the city has already found a good alternative. Yeah, an easier solution would be to purchase um, hotels that our tourist hotels going defunct. You know, we're standing in front of the Hilton and they just announced recently that they were uh, defaulting on their loans um, and letting go of the property. And it's really big. It's about 1,100 rooms, which may be a little too big. Um, (laughs) um, But you can do, you can imagine a lot of different things. You can imagine creating little micro communities within this building. Um, You could imagine having senior housing. Um, you could have mixed income housing. You could, you know, you could do a lot of stuff with, with a building like this because it already has all that infrastructure in place. Everyone is imagining the possibilities for how to fill empty space in San Francisco right now, including our question asker, Judith Gottlieb. Sheltering people experiencing homelessness in office buildings probably isn't in the cards. Converting hotels is much easier. But those vacant offices in the city's core could one day be high-end housing, especially if lawmakers take more steps to make conversions cheaper. That was reporter Pauline Bartoloni. It's time to weigh in on our July voting round at baycurious.org. Here are the questions we're considering. Why are there so many sharks in Half Moon Bay? 
What's the history and modern state of the SFPD Mounted Division? What does it do? Who takes care of the horses? And how does a horse become an SF police horse? What's the history of the Claremont Hotel when it comes to prohibition and the temperance movement? There's a lot of legend and conflicting stories surrounding this chapter of the hotel's history. Cast your vote for what we should report on next at baycurious.org. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Our show is produced by Amanda Font, Christopher Beal, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Additional support from Jen Chien, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, and Holly Kernan. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.